morning. My name is Scott. I'm a lead pastor here at First Christian Church. We are really glad that you're here this morning to study the scriptures with us, uh, to sing the praises of our Lord and Savior. And so we are um, super glad that you have joined us for that. Uh, Today is our fourth week in a four-week series called God and Culture um, that has been all about helping us see how God has called us to use our resources and our relationships to create environments that produce goodness and truth and beauty uh, that communicate his heart. Um, So he has given us these resources and relationships uh, to do just that, to do what he did in creation and to create an environment in our lives where his goodness is produced. So I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Revelation, the 21st chapter. Um, That's where we're going to be headed today in a couple different places. Revelation 21, if you need a Bible or a study guide, those are coming down the aisles there. Just lift up your hand there if you need a Bible or a study guide. Um, Get a hold of them, get an eye over there to them, and they will hook you up. So we're real excited to tell you about our next series, which starts next week. It's going to be a four-week series uh, that's called Burned. And uh, we want to use this series in particular to invite friends or family uh, who maybe have been burned or hurt by church people, Christians, pastors, churches, um, anybody who might be looking for a church family, a healthy place where they can grow to be who God made them to be. Uh, In this series, we're going to be uh, exposing the kinds of things that create that kind of hurt uh, often, Uh, gossip, uh, self-righteousness, hypocrisy, uh, those kinds of things that create church hurt, even if (laughs) some of that is in us. Um, So we're going to watch a quick promo video here. I want you to see uh, what we're going to be putting out on social media so that you can share and like uh, and invite your friends with this uh, promo video. Have you ever been burned by the church? Maybe you've been burned by Christians or by church leaders. That kind of pain can leave us confused, hurt, and isolated. We want to follow Jesus, but his followers sometimes get in the way. Did you know that the Bible calls Jesus the great shepherd because he came to heal those with wounds just like this? Here at First Christian Church, we want to expose hypocrisy, gossip, and self-righteousness and offer a message of hope and comfort and reconciliation to those who have been hurt by people in the church. So we'd like to invite you to join us for a new four-week series called Burned that starts next Sunday at 9 and 10.45 a.m. We're going to be posting that on our social media channels um, if we haven't yet. Uh, We're going to be posting that this morning, um, so I want you to share that and like that and invite your friends with that on Twitter Um, Instagram or Facebook um, to help us out um, so that we can invite some friends uh, or family who need a good church home. Um, So last Sunday, I mentioned to y'all that um, a few of us staffers uh, were going off for for some pretty intense multi-site training um, and assessment. I just want to say it was a good week. Uh, It was an intense and an exhausting week. 
Uh, but it was a good week. We came back uh, having learned a lot uh, with a better sense for us of how to proceed as a church family. So the elders are going to still be talking through um, how we move forward in the coming week and what that looks like. So please continue to pray for us as we figure out what God has in store as we work toward launching another campus in February 2019. So I just want to ask you to keep praying about that for us uh, in the coming days. All right, let's read together Revelation 21. We're going to read the first five and... 5a. We're not going to quite go through all of five, but the first five verses of Revelation 21. I'm going to read this together in just a moment here, and then we'll pray to get our hearts and minds straight to hear from the Word of God. So let's read together, friends. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray, friends. Father, in the quiet of this moment, we ask that you would reset hearts and minds, that we would take advantage of the opportunity this morning uh, to name you as the only God who deserves glory and praise and honor, and that our lives would reflect that truth, that you are God, that you are altogether good that you have created this world so that we could continue what you've done in us. That is, by your Spirit, we would participate in what you're doing to make all things new. Father, give us a a vision for our lives, for our marriages, for our parenting, uh, for our families, for this church, for our community, that would be uh, in line with your heart to use the resources you've given us, the relationships you have given us, so that we would partner with your Spirit in creating environments that create goodness and truth and beauty. Or give us us that kind of vision so that we would leave this place changed with a greater sense of your purposes in our lives, your calling for us, so that in in giving ourselves to you, we would find greater purpose and contentment and peace and joy that come only from you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So if you knew that the work that you put in would produce a tenfold return, you would do the work gladly, wouldn't you? As soon as I ask the question, a whole bunch of you on the inside go, but, but yeah, that's not how the world works. 
we feel the frustration of the curse every day. Uh, that things don't work like we want, that, that the work we put in doesn't have the kind of return that we hope, that it should, that, that we have this vision for. If, if I said you can invest today in a stock and you would automatically know that you would get a tenfold return, you would invest it in an instant, right? <laughs> According to the promises of God in Scripture, there is one such worthy investment where the return is a sure thing. And that is work for the sake of the kingdom of God. You see, this is how it actually works in the kingdom. Everything you do now that conforms to the will of God, his purposes, has a return. Through God's spirit that far exceeds the input. Let me say that again because that's where we're headed today. It'll take us a little while to get there in Revelation, but if you follow closely, you'll see some cool stuff here in the Scriptures. This is how it works in the kingdom. Everything you do now that conforms to the will of God, that's about His purposes, has a return through God's Spirit that far exceeds the input. We learned this lesson today in Revelation 21, and we've got a lot of Scripture to get to together. It'll take us a bit to get there. Uh, this idea, back to this idea that, that our input has re- eternal reward. Uh, but we'll get there if you'll follow along. Look with me at Revelation 21, uh, the first verse. We're going to go through the first five verses and study together uh, what God has to tell us there through John's vision. This is Revelation written by the Apostle John. Uh, the Apostle John is one of the three of Jesus' close inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And John had a, a vision from God about the end of time, that time when, when God makes all things right. And this event here is pictured, as we read just a minute ago, and we'll look at here again, as a holy city coming down to earth from heaven. That's what it's pictured as here. Look at verse 1. Follow along with me. It says this, Then I saw, John writing his vision here, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth which is a Jewish-Hebrew language there. Heavens and earth is a concept that means everything, okay? So John is saying he has a vision of a new everything. Then he says this, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The first everything, in, in, in a way of saying here, the first everything has been renewed or replaced uh, by this new or renewed heaven and earth. And then it says this, And the sea was no more. Now, for the record, the sea was no more doesn't mean there are no bodies of water in heaven. Uh, It means that the old way of things where chaos and evil messed up everything, that that old order of things has passed away. It's gone away. You see, the sea was seen as a source and symbol of evil. According to the ancient peoples of John's day, the sea, you see, was seen. (laughs) I thought maybe two of you would laugh. The the sea was sort of pictured as the quintessential place where evil lived and chaos reigned. Uh, And listen, it wasn't just the ancients. Um, I've got a a serious fear of the deep waters uh, myself. Whenever I go to the ocean, it freaks the bejeebers out of me too. So if you're like that, welcome. A few years ago, um, I accidentally actually ventured out beyond the continental shelf there. The continental shelf is the shallow part of the water um, before it goes crazy deep. 
So I, I'm out a little ways there, and, and I suddenly <laughs> felt my foot slip. I didn't know where I was, but I felt my foot slip. And, and, and there I was suddenly underwater, staring straight into a, a very deep and a very dark abyss where I could see nothing in front of me other than nothing. Scariest moment of my life, honestly. I hate admitting that in front of all of you, but uh, it really was. I, I, I don't like the deep water. And you can understand why the ancient peoples thought that the sea, that the ocean, that the dark abyss, as they called it, was a place of, of chaos and evil. It was not only a symbol of it, but they believed, many of them, that it was the source of evil. It's a scary and dark place down there. They don't know where the bottom is. Boats and people go out to sea and don't come back. That's what they see happening, right, for them. Fish like this live down there. That's the angler fish. Crazy thing. It's real. It can eat other fish up to twice its size, which is the kind of thing that would wash up on shore, and they'd see it and they'd go, what lives down there? Angler fish do. So, point made, the sea is seen, it's perceived as a source of evil. Which is why here in Revelation 21, where John is writing about this vision of a new heaven and a new earth, this renewed creation, he says, you don't even have to worry about the sea being a place of evil and chaos because there's no evil ocean in heaven. Praise Jesus. This is my new life verse, by the way. <laughs> the sea was no more. So, point taken. They perceive it as a, as a place of evil and chaos, uh, even as a source of it. So keep reading. Renewal of creation, verse 2. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And then it says this. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, throughout the scriptures, God's people are described as a bride preparing herself for marriage, for a wedding. And, and, and here the new Jerusalem, where God's people live, is pictured in this same way, like a bride getting ready for marriage. He says, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. So this, this new Jerusalem, this, this new city, is a place where God's people live and dwell with him because the city, the people, are prepared for that wedding, for that marriage. Just think about it. Business as usual isn't how you operate when you know that the king is coming. We're preaching yet. You get ready by polishing the silver, vacuuming the carpets, you buy your meat at Publix, not Food City, because the king is on his way and you want the best. You know exactly what I mean. When you've got royalty coming over, it's just not business as usual. It's let's bring out the best. Because that's the only thing fitting for the king. You prepare with a purpose. And so that's the city that is ready to meet the king. That's a people ready to have relationship with the king. And when that happens at the end of, the end of time, here's the result. Keep reading. Verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them 
and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So this coming together of of heaven and earth means that a perfect and unhindered relationship and fellowship with God and his people results. There's this altogether harmonious fellowship between God and his people at the end of time when heaven and earth come together, when this new city comes down from heaven. And here are some signs of this return to harmony. Keep reading here. Uh, Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what God does for his people when things are made new. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more allergy problems. Death shall be no more which means there's no need to worry about cancer or disease, no reason to buy expensive anti-aging cream, no need to avoid carbs, all those good things. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor anglerfish anymore. For the former things have passed away. The old order of death and sin and grief and pain and things not working right when you put your heart and soul into them and the return isn't what you expect, that old order has gone. Symbolized by anglerfish being gone. Now look at this. Verse 5. It says, He who was seated on the throne, which is a title of the only one worthy of that authority to say what's about to be said, verse 5 says this, Behold, I am making all things new. As a summary statement of everything we've just studied there, the one on the throne with the authority to speak this definitively, holy, perfect God of the universe, who created all that is and who is redeeming his people for himself, says, Behold, I am making all things new. There's one main thing I want us to understand uh, about this phrase here. Behold, I am making all things new. Notice the tense of the verb. He says, I am making all things new. Present tense. This is some radical stuff we're going to be saying here from here on out. This cosmic project, this universal all of the heavens and the earth project that God has undertaken of renewing creation is something that God alone, who is above and beyond and in and out of time, renewing creation is something that God is doing in an ongoing manner. This is what he began to do in Genesis in creating the world It's what he has done in Jesus, and it's what he is doing now in his people. He has to do that if if heaven and earth, if God's perfection and, and our corrupted sin are to come together again. He has to be in the business of renewing us to meet with him. And only a God whose character and nature are marked by ever-flowing, never-ending goodness and truth and beauty and holiness can accomplish something that amazing. Now, that being said, keep your thumb in Revelation 21. We're going to refer to a few other scriptures here, uh, but we're going to come back to Revelation 21. 
Because what we see here in Revelation 21, this point that we've been making about the fullness of God's presence with his people in this new city and what that means, what we see here in Revelation 21 is the result of a principle. This is the radical part of all this. The result of a radical principle that we see in Scripture, which is this. God is making all things new through his spirit working through his people. God is making all things new through his spirit working through his people. Paul talks about this a lot in a number of places. 2 Corinthians 5:17 is perhaps one of the most famous because it's a summary statement. It's a good summary of this concept when Paul says this. We'll put it on screen. 2 Corinthians 5:17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, meaning an entirely new creature. The Spirit of God making that new creature possible. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The tense of the verb here in 2 Corinthians 5.17 where it says the new has come is not a past tense. It's what we call a perfect tense, which means that it happened and there are ongoing results. It happened and there is ongoing action. It's called the perfect tense, which means that what God has done, he is still doing. The new has come and it's still coming. God's people have been and are being made new. That's what we call positional sanctification. Made new in Jesus because what he accomplished on the cross gives us status of right with God. Ongoing progressive sanctification is the working out of that. If you're not growing, you are not being renewed in the image of God. It's an ongoing process. This is what God is doing in the world and he wants to do with us. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, there's a cool place where, where Paul calls his people, the people of God, excuse me. Paul calls the people of God ambassadors for Christ. He says that God's people are the ones through whom God is making his appeal. Present tense. 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Paul says God's people are working together with God. Because of God's renewing spirit in us. Present tense. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about building up the church, building up the body of Christ, and, and how you build on the foundation of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And he says this in verse 13. We'll put this on screen. He says, each one's work will become manifest, will be made known. What our lives produce, not just to work at a job for which you're paid, but work in the world for which we have resources given to us by God. Each one's work will be made manifest, shown for what it really is, for the day, meaning the coming day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, by God's judgment. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. What Paul is implying here in 1 Corinthians 3 is that in the final judgment, everything in our lives that does not conform to the will of God and his perfection and his holiness and his purpose will be burned up. And listen closely, everything in our lives and in our work that does conform. <laughs> and this is the radical part. Everything in our lives and in our work that does conform to the will of God will be incorporated into his eternal kingdom. Which is why, back to Revelation 21, 
I'm not making this up. Revelation 21. It says this in verses 24 and 6. We'll look just at verse 26. That's why John says this. They, meaning the people of God, will bring into it the city of God. They, the people of God, will bring into it the city of God, the glory and the honor of the nations. Uh, The words used here for glory and honor in this verse refer to um, the sort of gifts produced by the lives of people who are entering this new city. They will come from all over the world, which is the nation's part here. They will come from all the nations bringing to God the gifts their lives produced that will bring him glory and honor. Put these verses together. And the amazing truth is that this is going to be what happens when God finishes his work of renewing the world, of making all things new. God's people will bring the work of their lives as gifts to God. The picture we're given here of this future means that your work today can have eternal return. What this means is that you can bring God glory, that you can praise him with your work, with what your life produces, with what you produce with your resources and your relationships. It's the promise of God that your work in the here and now will produce eternal results when his spirit gets hold of it. Now, this is going to sound pretty high-minded, but I think it's Bible. And I think it's a good summary of what we've been saying in this series. When we are serious about using our resources and our relationships to create environments that produce God's goodness, we are participating in His work of making all things new. Which means, don't wait for someday to begin working as if it matters. Disengagement today will mean a future disengagement. Living as if what you have today, not tomorrow, is a piece of God's product for you. His vision for you. He's given you the resources and relationships. All you need through His Spirit to produce His goodness. So don't wait for someday to begin working in the present, here and now, as if it's going to matter then without you working now. It has been well said that the tragedy of life isn't so much that it ends so soon, but that so many wait so long to begin it. Paul says, redeem the time. Don't live in this paralyzed state of I'm not good enough. I don't have enough resources. I'm not smart enough. The Lord has given you and me everything we need to do what he's called us to do. And it's your trust and faith in his promises for tomorrow that keep you in engagement for today. 
So the lesson's easy, <laughs> in a sense. I work today to create environments in your life, with your resources, with your marriage, with your relationships, with your work, with your physical stuff that you have that you call your resources. Get to work creating environments with all that (laughs) that communicate God's goodness. There is no higher purpose and calling for your life. Your investment today, when used by God, can reap eternal rewards, which gives you meaning and purpose today. Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, forgive us for perceiving our resources in life as primarily about satisfaction in the here and now. Give us a vision for our lives, Lord, that uh, is in keeping with what you've done in creation. That you created for us a place where we could know you. Lord, continue to teach us Um, through your word, through the witness of those around us, through our participation and connection to the body of Christ. Uh, We pray that you would continue to teach us, Lord, that we have everything we need for the purposes you've given us and that our personal satisfaction, that our marital satisfaction, our parenting satisfaction, our job satisfaction, that, that our contentment and peace and joy in this life is connected to our trust in your promises for where you're taking us. Forgive us, Lord, for having a vision that trusts in our earthly contentment as a project for self, as being about our glory. Continue to instruct us and to correct us so that as we give ourselves to you, you would help us to grow to be used by you, that our lives would become a witness, that others would see our management of the resources you've given us, and they would point to those things and the products of our lives and our hands, that they would see those things, and that they would see you, that they would see a God who has given us all we need, and that the joy we have in being used by you would be its own witness. Father, use us for the sake of your goodness and your glory. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.